Laura came up to me uh, earlier, just before this, and she said, um, <laughs> I'm still recovering from your yesterday talk, so could you give me a briefing so I can decide whether to come today or not? Um, <laughs> um, so, um, so I went through my talk with Flora, and she said, oh, you can be kind. Um, <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. right, right, yeah, yeah, gentle, sorry. Um, so this has got the Flora seal of approval um, so far. But I've also said to Flora, if she needs to jet at any point, she can. And so that will be the sign to all of you that I have crossed the line. Um, but um, appreciate the accountability, Flora. Um, and I do think um, yesterday was kind of looking at the... the um, the lies of peace that we internalize from our culture. Um, today is less of that. Um, today I want to um, have a look at um, uh, the way that Jesus walks um, and the way that he walks in peace. Um, and I think, um, I don't really know how to share in a way that isn't kind of hard on my sleeve. So I can't guarantee you that it won't get a little emotional, um, but um, I'm, not, I'm not hoping to tear down any idols this afternoon or anything. So hopefully it will feel a little bit more like a vulnerable conversation between friends um, rather than um, a bonfire. Um, so, um, yeah. Um, I, um, I want to mention a couple of things. We'll, we'll, um, oh, no, I won't. We'll do that tomorrow. Um, so um, Colossians 1, 19 to 20 um, Colossians 1, 19 to 20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I'll read that again like Jacks did. If you want to close your eyes, go for it. For God was pleased to have all his fullness, all for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Um, I want to break down this passage because there's a lot in there. Um, I think a good way sometimes to read the Bible, one of the best ways I've been taught to read the Bible, is when you find something um, confusing or infuriating or frustrating, that's the point at which you stop. Um, you know, rather than papering over it, you sort of go, whoa, what the heck does that mean? And that's where you grab out your commentary or you call your friends or you look around and you try to go, I don't, if, if that's what I think it says, then it's a little bit crazy. Um, and sometimes we can get like sort of those of us who have been in the church for um, a long time can get a little bit inoculated to the shockingness of some of what's in our scriptures and then we just sort of keep rolling forward as if something really weird wasn't said. Um, and so a curious phrase in here is um, peace through his blood. Um, peace through his blood. Um, when I hear blood I don't normally think peace. Um, so it talks here about peace through his blood. Um, and, um, and, uh, and Jesus actually talks a lot about blood um, in a way that... Um, Probably uh, folks who had not read the scriptures before would actually find it really shocking at different points. A good example of this, um, he said he had a group of about uh, 5,000 people following him at one point, and he said to them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciples. Like, it's objectively really full-on, eh? That's kind of like um, vampirism, you know? Um, and, um, and what actually happens in that moment is that pretty much everybody leaves. They like, they gap it. Uh, he's left with the 12 disciples and he says, are you going to leave? And they say, 
where else would we go? You told us to lay down our nets to follow you. We're here in the middle of nowhere. We're stuck now. Um, but um, this, this blood, I think, one of the ways that we can often think about um, blood as a phrase used in the scriptures as reference uh, as kind of code for suffering. Um, and so um, if we were to look at by making peace through his blood, we might say by making peace through his suffering, which is still full on, but a little bit more precise. And then it says, so by making peace through his blood, and then, it's, and then to reconcile to himself all things. Um, what is reconciliation? Um, in some of the, the Greek translation of this, reconciliation, to reconcile is to change from one state to another, to move from one state to another. And I'd say that when we're looking at the work of Christ, the key change of state that he is always doing is from death to life. That's the change of state, to reconcile, to move things from death to life. 1 John 5, 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Like this is what Jesus is doing in his work on the cross, is that he dies and rises again. And then as Paul will set up later on in his epistles, we enter into that same journey of dying to who we once were and coming alive. So we are crossing over from death to life. So kind of the, the Scotty Reeve translation of this verse, whether it's helpful or not, God, beca- God became flesh in Jesus to make everything cross over from death into life and so he made peace through his suffering. God became flesh in Jesus to make everything cross over from death into life, and so he made peace through his suffering. And so if we want to talk about peace, um, the primary way we need to think about that and think about much of our faith is through the lens of the cross. Um, Everything ultimately, the full revelation we have of who Christ is and who God is, is revealed in his death and resurrection. Uh, I've learned this fancy phrase for this in my theology studies is of a cruciform theology, that we look at everything through the crucifixion of Jesus, and that is where we see what God is most like. So the greatest revelation of God is that expressed in his death and resurrection. So if we want to know what God thinks about something, we view it in light of the cross. So what I want to do today is I want to look at how Christ in his suffering on the road to the cross was somehow able to make peace. Um, In the midst of this journey, which was absolutely horrific for him, in this journey which involved the desertion of his friends, the betrayal from his friends, um, the, um, the accusations, the torture, the humiliation, the going to the cross, somewhere in that journey, somehow, Jesus is still making peace. We observe moments on that journey where somehow... He is making reconciliation even though he goes through his worst suffering. (laughs) And that sounds really full on, but I think like part of the hope of the cross is that the universe was saved on the worst day of Christ's life. And there is hope in that for me that life can come because it has come out of the worst day of Christ's life and the worst day in human history, life can come out of the worst day of my life that suffering can be a gate of peace and it can be a gate of hope. And that is the hope that the cross and the resurrection offers us, is that peace can be made through suffering. And again, that kind of draws back to what we talked about yesterday, that peace is not primarily anchored in a change of circumstances. It's not primarily anchored um, in us waiting for everything to be right, but it is something that undergirds us even as we go through hardship, even as we go through trials. And yeah, the beauty I think we see of the, um, the journey to the cross is that Jesus, as he goes, 
is making life on the way to his own death. Like he's making life and hope on the way to his own death as he is in deep pain, as he is in deep distress. He's making hope, which is, is just, just bizarre. And so the first step I want to look at, the first step on that journey um, is, um, is in the garden, um, the garden of Gethsemane. Um, Jesus, um, Judas has left Jesus to turn him over. And Jesus is in this, this garden and um, I've been to this garden, or the one they think is this garden, um, and, um, and Jesus sits there, and he says to his friends, basically, I realized what is going to happen. I realize where this is going. He's coming to terms with his own death. And then he says to his friends, just stay with me. Just stay with me and keep me company. I kind of, I actually really love that. I love like the loneliness of God in that moment of like, I just need you to be with me. Um, and they all they all fall asleep, and then he is racked with grief, um, and um, and he's crying and he's wailing in this garden, um, and he says he's so desperate that he says to God, "Is there any other way? Is there anything else that could happen?" And uh, eventually, a mob arrives and they come to arrest him. Um, and then the disciples wake, and um, one of them in particular, Peter, is really pissed off. Um, and um, as Peter often seems, eh, to just have this incredible ability to just make a mess of every situation. I feel very, very kindred with him. Um, so Luke twenty-two forty-nine to 51, it says, When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. So as Jesus is about to be wounded, he heals. The beginning of his journey of his own crucifixion and death and pain is to offer healing to another. Now when all my friends um, aren't available to me when I need them, and when I feel like I'm going through a hard time, the last thing I'm thinking about is anybody else's healing. There's this generosity where Jesus, as he is about to go on this journey of profound desolation and wounding, holds out healing, not to a friend, but to an oppressor. As Jesus is wounded, he heals. This is the way of peace. There's a history of these kinds of stories throughout, um, throughout our tradition, throughout our church. Some of you will know of a guy called Dirk Wilhelm, who was kind of one of the founders of the Anabaptist movement. Um, the Anabaptists kind of had this thing where they're like, we don't think people got baptized right the first time by the Catholic Church, so we're going to do it again. And the Catholic Church's predictive response to th- uh, predictable response to that was, kill them all! Um, and, um, and so Dirk was um, one of these guys, and um, he ends up locked in this prison. Um, trying to escape, and eventually he manages to escape. And as he runs from the prison that he's been captive in, he runs across this icy lake. Um, And he's running away, and one of his captors chases after him, and as he runs, the ice breaks beneath the feet of his captor, and the captor falls through the ice, begins to drown. Dirk looks back, sees his captor drowning in the ice, and chooses to return and to lift him out. Dirk is then put back into captivity and eventually killed. In his woundedness, he offers healing to this person he never should have offered healing to. He offers healing to his oppressor. As Dirk was wounded, he healed. And I think there's um, something really powerful in this, because I think in our suffering we often feel that we become totally powerless. 
you know? Like for those of us who have been through extreme experiences of suffering, often there's this feeling where um, we just feel like absolutely um, at, at, the, at the mercy of what, what James would say, like the waves that we're just throwing about. Um, and we feel we become voiceless in the midst of this. And I was really comforted actually um, reading Isaiah 53 and how it talks about Jesus as a lamb led to the slaughter. He was being taken somewhere he did not want to go. And that as he went, he had no, he made no sound. And this idea of like this powerlessness and voicelessness, which our God has experienced too. But when Jesus reaches out and heals his arrestor, he shows a new kind of power. He shows that the power of peace is greater than the power of violence. Suddenly, the most powerful person in that room is not the guy with the sword. It's the guy with mercy. I reckon that's cool, right? Suddenly, the one who has no control over the situation inhabits a new kind of power. And the one with the sword is no longer the powerful one, but the one who shows mercy and healing. Similarly with um, Dirk Wilhelm, in the moment he lifts his captive from the ice, he's no longer the captive, he's the hero of that story. There's this transfer of power that happens in mercy. There's a subversive, different kind of power that happens here. And that is where Jesus begins his journey to the cross. So point number one, as Jesus suffers, he heals and so makes peace. And in this, he invites others to cross over from death to life. Is everyone with me? Cool. Secondly, we have um, along the journey, Jesus is eventually pulled in front of a crowd before Herod. Says the whole assembly, this is um, Luke 23, the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate and they began to accuse him. And they accuse him of some things which are true. They say that he's alluded to the fact that he's the Messiah and pretty much has. But they also say things that are untrue. They say he's, he's, he's telling you not to pay taxes anymore. You actually know that that's not what he said. Um, and, uh, and they start hurling these different accusations and abuses um, at him. And then it says in verse 11, Herod and the soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Um, so, you know, we know this, they hung a sign above his head which said King of the Jews, this mocking title, like as if the Jews would have a king. And it says they put an, ele- an, an elegant robe on him. So they dress him up, well, if you're a king here, wear this fine purple outfit as you march to your death. Not such a king now. They begin to humiliate him. And then he is crucified, and as he's up on the cross, he says in verse 34 of um, Luke 23, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. As he's been through this whole journey, this, this, this situation of oppression and mocking, then he is upon the cross, and he looks at the people around them, and he says, there's no way these people would be doing this if they knew what they were doing. Man, what an incredible vision of humanity. <laughs> like, there is no way if they really knew what they were up to, they wouldn't be doing it. What an incredibly generous stance. As Christ is accused, he blesses. As Christ is accused, he blesses. A little while ago, a um, year ago, I faced um, um, some accusations from an old friend. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't true, but... Um, But as I was talking to another friend, I was talking to Bishop Ali about this, and I was going through it, and I was saying things like, they're so cruel. And she'd reply, I wonder what happened to them. I would say, 
what an asshole. <laughs> She'd say, what must it be like to be in such pain? And I'd say, how can a Christian do this? And she'd say, I wonder what Jesus would say if he was sitting with them now. She had this relentless thing where she would not let their humanity or their divinity be diminished. She just wouldn't, you know, I came with all my fury. I came with all the pain of the accusation. And she came with, this person has a story. And let's consider forgiving them because maybe they don't know what they're doing. Man, powerful stuff. Forgive them, Father, I don't think they know what they're doing. I was accused and yet my friend blessed. What I find powerful about this, um, the name Satan literally means accuser. And in our experience of accusation where we feel we've been misrepresented or we feel like someone has said something unfair or, or misunderstood us, we too can be tempted to the way of Satan to be accusational way. To level back the same things in the way that maybe our humanity or our divinity has been diminished. We want to level that back at the other person to become accusational, to participate in the same dehumanization we experience. And blessing is so countercultural to this. It's so against the grain of this, so strange. Um, but it is what Christ has called us to participate in. Luke 6:28. Bless those who curse you and pray over those who take you away by force. Now, that's a definition of what Jesus went through. Bless those who curse you. Pray over those who take you away by force. When we bless, we affirm that the person before us is actually not a great representation of the person God called them to be. And we say, forgive them, Father. I'm not sure that they know what they're doing. And if they knew you and they saw you and they met with you, maybe something better would be happening. So point number one, as Jesus suffers, he heals. Point number two, as, Je as Jesus is accused, he blesses. And in this, he, he offers others the opportunity to cross over from death to life. Final stop on our journey, as Jesus is on the cross, um, he looks down and he sees his mother and he sees his disciples. And... Um, I just, I mean, uh, sometimes uh, the, the gravity of the cross, we, we like, uh, and the immenseness of it, we forget the little heartbreaking things within it. Um, many of us would have, like, said goodbye to people we love. Um, and I imagine Christ in his pain also looking down at the mother he loves and looking down at the disciple he loves. And he looks down at them and says this, Now they stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here's your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. In the moment of Jesus' profound loss, he gives a mother a son and he gives a son a mother. Oosh, hey. Like... <laughs> In the moment of profound loss, Jesus gives a mother a son and a son a mother. In his death, he offers a couple of people a new life together. He offers them companionship. He offers them family. As he is broken, he makes family. As he is broken, he makes family. I talked yesterday about um, some of the stuff that I've been through over the last couple of years and um, in the lead up to my daughter arriving and, um, and my separation, um, I did the usual thing that a lot of parents do of painting the baby room. 
Um, and um, painting is the only trade that I'm any good at. Um, but um, I, um, yeah, I spent I spent hours, um, found a colour I liked, um, and um, over a few days, like prepped the baby room um, for for where my little girl Luna would stay. Um, and um, and what ended up happening is is everything broke down, and um, um, our family broke apart. Um, that room didn't get used, and I moved next door to um, the house next door. Um, but a few months later, we heard about this family who were having a really rough time struggling to get along, and they'd had a little kid around the same time as we had Luna. And so we invited them to come and live in that old house, and that became that little kid's room. And there was this one night um, where um, some stuff had gone really skewer from that family. Um, they weren't getting along, um, and, um, and some mental health stuff um, crapped out, and with really short notice, they said, can you come over? Um, he won't sleep. One of us needs to go to the hospital. The other one needs to get out. Um, and so I end up that night um, sitting in this room, which I painted for my daughter, holding another person's kid, rocking him, praying for him, blessing him, sitting there for an hour or two, praying for this kid, um, yeah, that, that he would know Jesus in the room that I prepared for my own daughter. And I think, man, what crazy things God asks us to do, eh? What crazy things God asks us to do from our own brokenness and our own suffering, eh? As my family broke down, I am part of holding together another one. Um, and, and this is, um, yeah, I just remember in that moment thinking of Jesus as the one who in his brokenness is then called to hold together other family. And this is who we are as the people of God. We are a broken body called to bring the world back together again. We're a broken body called to bring the world back together again, eh? Like it's not like we are not we are not a we are not a bronzed, well toned, put together Christian body, eh? We're a flippin' mess, and yet Jesus says, "You that you messed up representation of what I was, <laughs> you funhouse mirror version of Jesus, <laughs> you." You put the world back together again. You, um, in your brokenness, make family. Paul recognized when he was talking to the church in Corinth the same thing of um, how our own brokenness and our own woundedness can sometimes be this place where we end up oddly offering healing and hope to others. He said, we go through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, Known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and not yet killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Man, that is such a like paradox, poor yet making many rich. But that's us, eh? That's us as peacemakers, like the poor who make many rich, who hand over our lives to the call of the gospel. And somehow often in our lack and in our own wrestling and our own brokenness, hold out this life to make others rich. In our suffering, we make lives and homes for others. So point number three, as Jesus is broken, he makes family. And in this, he invites others to cross over from death to life. So those three things, before I say one more thing, as Jesus suffers, he heals. As Jesus is accused, he blesses. As Jesus is broken, he makes family. That is peacemaking. 
That is what it is to be peacemakers. And the thing I love about this um, is that I think if the gospel is truly the gospel, it must be the gospel for everybody, you know? Like sometimes I hear a gospel, I'm like, that's only possible for me with my middle class income living in Brooklyn. That can't be the gospel. But this is a gospel where the suffering are the most important for implementing it in the world, eh? And we can all learn to suffer well. We can all learn to suffer well. You know, some of us, we don't know that at the end of our lives, like the guarantee, as I said yesterday, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, you will have suffering, in this world you will bleed. But there can be richness and there can be meaning and you can bring peace as you suffer. You can be life to others. And so for those of you here today, I think sometimes we can get into that space where we think, if I can just get my shit together, then I could be a good Jesus follower. But the gospel is held out to people who don't have their shit together to offer hope to other people who don't have their shit together. That is so good, eh? That is so good that the wounded can heal, that the accused can bless, that the broken can make family. We can all do that. We can all do that. So this is the way of peace. The suffering bringing healing, the accused choosing to bless, and the broken making family. And I would hazard a guess that all of us sitting here today go, that is not how I live right now. (laughs) That is not the life I live. When I am accused, I accuse. When I am broken, I break. When I am wounded, I wound. (laughs) And that is so human, and that is so normal. But I think, like, this is the apprenticeship that Jesus invites us into, Hey is to walk alongside him, to walk with his Holy Spirit and learn to be these people who, even though we are wasting away, can make life and hope and can help others cross over from death into life. Man, that's like a beautiful vision, a beautiful invitation um, and and a beautiful um, call to be peacemakers. So why don't I pray a second and um, then we might have a chat to each other. Um, Loving God, I pray that this would fill us with hope. God, we do not live into this reality. As I said before, we are the funhouse mirror of Jesus. Um, We are warped and messy. Um, But in that, by your grace, your strength is being made perfect in our weakness. And you are healing the world and you are bringing your gospel of peace and you are being declared as the Prince of Peace, even in our brokenness. So I pray, loving God, um, that this would fall as good news on every heart here. Um, that those who have felt too weak to offer anything, um, yeah, would would just know that in their weakness um, there can be peace. Um, Yeah, and I pray for those of us who feel a million miles off this, that we would feel your gentle invitation saying, come follow me, come take one step with me, learn my unforced rhythms of grace. Mm -hmm. I just want to invite anyone else to pray out too.